All right, we are in Matthew, the sixth chapter. We are reading the book of Matthew together. We are in the Sermon on the Mount. We're getting about the halfway point now. Uh, it's been pretty tough. Jesus has said a lot of things that are like, whoa, hoochie mama. And uh, we are to the Lord's Prayer. And uh, some interesting things here. Now, we're gonna, I told you last week, we read this last week, but I told you we we're going to back up and want to go over it again in more detail. He starts really in verse 7. And when he says this, and when you pray, he says, don't keep on babbling like pagans. Because they think they will be heard because of their many words. Just saying some prayers that you've got memorized over and over and over and over and over over again is not how you get a hold of God. Okay, he's not deaf. He's not an old man. He's not asleep. Okay, he's not slow. He gets it. But you just go, oh God, let's pray this and keep him in prayer over and over and over again. And I know a lot of Christians do this. It's like crazy. This is not Jesus. I don't know how much more clear you can be. Don't do that, he says. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then in verse 9, he says this. This, then, is how you should pray. Everybody say how. how. It's not what you should pray. And there is a huge difference. We kind of miss the point here. <laughs> this is so. Now, it's fine. We pray this prayer every Sunday together. It is the one prayer virtually every Christian in the world has memorized. And we will say it together, usually in a corporate expression. That's fine. But Jesus wasn't really giving us a prayer so that we could learn this is what you should pray when you pray. So that we could just repeat this prayer over and over again like the pagans he told us not to babble like. Does that make any sense? People pray, our father, our father, our father, our father, our father, our father, pray like 530 times. Like somehow that's accomplishing anything. It's not. You're just talking a lot. Jesus said, don't do that. And this is classic. But, you know, faith people have always done this. There's a, one account in the Old Testament where these poisonous snakes were in the camp of the, of the children of Israel. And all kinds of people are dying from these poisonous snakes. And Moses is freaking. He said, what are we going to do? God says, listen, make a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. I call it snake on a stick. And put snake on a stick up there and then tell the people, whenever they got bit, if they'll just look up at the snake, they'll be healed. And they did, and they were all healed. Now, this was, Jesus actually refers to this later, where he talks about that time that Moses did that. He says, that was a sign of what's going to happen with me when I'm lifted up on the cross, and people will look up to me to be saved of their sins. So that was the analogy. Of course, God uses this as a miracle, but what do these guys do? The Bible says they took the snake, and then they worshipped it. They're bowing to say, oh, hullabah, hullabah, snake, snake, and make an idol out of it. We tend to do some of the goofiest things. Here Jesus tells us, don't just say the same prayers over and over and over and over and over again. And he says, this is how you should pray. And then we think it's what we should pray. And then we memorize this prayer and we say it over and over and over and over and over, and over again. We miss the whole point. Okay? That's not what this is about. Again, it's fine to say the prayer. We do it. But that's not what he's saying. He says, this is how you should pray. And he gives us what is a pretty simple prayer. Which I was encouraging last week. Don't let time scare you away from prayer. A lot of people think, well, I, I don't have time to pray. Hello? It's a pretty short prayer. It doesn't take a long time. Now, I'm not arguing just for praying for 20 seconds, but, you know, pray. It doesn't take a long time. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said, don't go babbling, and then this is how you should pray and give us a very short prayer. So, obviously, it's not about the time element. But now, let's take a look at how he says we should pray. How? We should pray. And I follow this in my own prayer life. When I pray, I pray pretty much take the Lord's Prayer and I take it a segment at a time and pray off of that 
as the standard for how to pray. So he said, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the first thing you do is when you come before God, you just praise God for who he is. Thank you, God. For who you are, my thank you for the wonderful things. Maybe that day you saw some beautiful sunset or something. God, I just want to thank you for that beautiful sunset. Man, only you could do something like this. You are, we have no idea how powerful you are. Or maybe something happened at work or something, you know. Again, it'll be different. These are daily prayers. You don't have to keep saying the same thing every day, over and over again. Just reflect in some way about how big God is and how wonderful he is in his life. And how much you love and appreciate and respect him for who he is. Very simple. All right? You don't have to go on for an hour and a half about it. Just make your statement. This is how you should pray. You come to God, you praise him and thank him for his majesty. Part number two. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this is when you start praying about God moving into the life uh, of, of, of the church and the people around you. Here's your chance. Pray for your church. Pray for us. Pray for your psycho pastor. Pray for everybody that you know, the different ministries you're involved in the church, stuff you're praying for and hoping that will happen. Uh, we got this big Rock the Lakes thing with the Billy Graham crusade coming. Pray for that, that God will use us to touch thousands of people's lives here in Green Bay. Those kinds of things. It's whatever comes to mind. And, and keep this in mind. I've said this many times, but I know people, they just don't get it. Most people think God is just sovereign God and he's going to do whatever he's going to do and we all just sit back and watch. When the truth of the matter is God is standing ready, able, and willing to move in your life and in the people around your lives. But he's waiting for you to tell him what to do. I know most people, they just cannot grasp this. What do you mean God's waiting for me? That just, just doesn't seem right. This is the whole point. That's why Jesus said pray. Ask God what you want him to do. And the reason why some of you, God almost does nothing in your life, you never ask him. You see God doing stuff and other people are like, oh, they're pretty lucky. No, they pray. You don't. Look, the number one people, reason people don't get answers to prayer is they don't pray. That's the main reason. We don't pray. We cry, we freak, we panic, we complain, we bellyache. We're fabulous at that. But we don't actually pray. God is waiting, willing and able. Have you stopped and said, God, just again, these are daily prayers. God, you know, Bob down at the office, you know, his wife just got cancer and I pray that you would help them and the things will go really well for them. Or, Lord, you know, my kids are doing such and such. I pray that you'd really help them. Or praying for this friend. Ask God to move in people's lives and be specific. Not just to move, but how you want them to move. That's what God is waiting for you to do. The people who do this, these are the people who God is moving in the lives of people around them. Sadly, most people don't do it. They just think God's going to do it on his own. And he won't. You need to pray. Without prayer, God will not move. You say, why is that? I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. Well, who cares? I don't know how my car works either. I just go. You know. Just go with it. Pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What do you want God to do? And focus on how God can make himself real to the people in need around you. And again, we're not saying the same prayer. God is not looking for the babbling version. Every day. God blah 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 blah. Not what he's looking for. What happens today? What's going to happen tomorrow? What are you going to see? Who are you going to become aware of in your life? In in your world. You don't have to worry about everybody. You can pray for your pastor and your church in a, in a broad sense, but not specifically. Who do you know? Who needs God? Who do you know? What could you see God showing up in somebody's life around you? Ask God to do that and pray 
for that person. This is how the hand of God starts to move. All right, so we do that. Then, this is how you should pray. Then the next point, now you can pray for you. Give us today our daily bread. What are your needs? What do you need? God knows you have these needs. Okay? You can pray about them. Sadly, most of us jump right to that. We skip parts one and two. The way we pray is, Oh God, I need this, God, I need this. Amen. Every prayer, Oh God, I need this, I need this. Okay, slow down a little bit. How about you? Hello, God. Praise you. Thank you for who you are. Pray for his concerns of how he can move in other people's lives and then get around it. Don't take that long. We're not talking huge long prayers here. Now ask. God knows you need the rent payment. God knows you got to deal with stuff in your life. God knows you have needs. Jesus said, God knows you have these needs. Well, if he knows, why doesn't he just do it? That's the point. He won't do it if you don't ask him. Are any of you getting this? You know, let me out on drugs this morning. He won't do it if you don't ask him. He says, God knows you have these needs. Therefore, ask him. Ask him to meet your needs. All right? How should you pray? Then what do you pray? And then he says this. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now, I have a pet peeve with this translation. Uh, because this is the part of the Lord's Prayer most people don't get. And we're going to elaborate on it in a minute. Uh, but... What he's talking about is forgive us of our sins as we forgive people who sin against us. But when they translate these things, they use phrases that nobody knows what the heck they're talking about. Debtor? What's a debtor? You mean a guy owes me 50 bucks? I forgive him? And okay, I guess, you know. And then, of course, we use the old English trans, you know, phrase here. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, I'm concerned our young people have even no idea what we're talking about. Trespassers. They're probably thinking about people who walk across their lawn. Yeah. Lord, forgive all people trespassing on my property today. Amen. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. He's talking, well, of course, we use the old thing because that's the tradition and we enjoy the tradition of it. But it's, you know, we've got to be careful sometimes. We can oftentimes use religious terminology and our kids can even learn the religious terminology and have no idea what we're talking about. So these translators are, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Huh? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive our... Those who trespass on our property. Might as well be saying, Lord, forgive our watch and jiggets as we forgive the watch and jiggies against us. You know, I don't know what you're talking about. He's talking about when people hurt you, rip you off, steal from you, insult you, make you angry. People who sin against you, God, forgive them. I need to forgive them. And forgive me. Just like I forgive them. All right. We'll go on. Then the next part. And he ends with this. And lead us not, at least in this translation, there's one that adds on a little bit a little more. But, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's the next final major step of the prayer. Pray after you've done this. Again, God isn't listening. Oh, he didn't do it for three hours. I'm not listening today. Okay. Pray. Now, some of you could pray for three hours just doing everything I just said because you're so aware. And what's interesting, sometimes the, pray, the more you pray like this, the first time you might pray, you might take 60 seconds to pray it. The more you start understanding this, all of a sudden, the more you become aware of needs and God. And all of a sudden, you find yourself praying longer or something like that. Again, it's not about the longer. It's that you become more spiritually aware. And some people will spend 
long periods of time in prayer because they are aware of all these things. Some people keep prayer journals where they start listing down the stuff and concerns. I think that's fabulous. Okay? But just start. Okay? It's not about the time. It's about just doing it. But he says, after praying these things, wrap it up with this, and God, keep me out of trouble. Because I know me. Okay? Lead me not into God. Keep me away from stuff that will make me sin. Now, that's literally what he's talking about. Keeping you away from the opportunity to do wrong. That's what you want to pray. I pray this all the time. God, keep me away from the opportunity to sin. I don't walk around saying, well, I'm such a holy man, I'd never sin. I don't have to worry about it. I know me. I don't want the opportunity. (laughs) Okay? Just, I know me. Just keep me away from, that's what I pray. Now, he's not talking about feelings. We all feel tempted to punch somebody or yell at somebody or lust after somebody. We all get that. Not talking about that. He's talking about the opportunity to do it. Pray that God will keep you from any opportunity where you can actually act on any of that. And quit acting on those feelings. I know people who literally, I just had someone say this to me the other day. Pastor, the temptation is just more than I can bear. No, it's not. The Bible specifically says God will never allow you to be tempted more than you can handle it. If you think, oh, it's more than I can bear, you are lying. It is not more. Well, it's horrible. Welcome to the club. Sometimes life is horrible. We all feel these horrible. You don't act on what you feel. And quit caring about how you feel. That's what irritates me more than anything. The fact that people care about how they feel. Oh, Pastor, I'm really feeling this really bothered me. Well, shut up. Who cares? Just don't do it. But we can't do that today because we have corrupted our very country. We are now a nation that concerns more about how we feel than how we think. We don't think anymore. We feel in this country. And we got to worry that we don't hurt that group's feeling and that group's feelings and this group over here and our feeling because everything's how we feel and we have a feeling. Churches have been just as bad and we're just concerned about how everybody feels about everything. It's one of the reasons guys won't preach the Bible. They don't want to talk about some of these things because they're afraid they'll hurt someone's feelings. I don't, I don't want you to hurt your feelings but how you feel is, defines you it is not what defines us if you let your feelings define you you will be a mess and a disaster in life your actions should define you the way you think and the way you behave defines me it's not what I feel I feel all kinds of things I don't act on those things and I pray God keep me away from those things Don't live by how you feel. Lord, if there's one thing I wish I could get across to everybody's brain, if we could just do this, don't live by how you feel. Don't even care about it. Why do you care about how you feel? (gasps) Well, I have to be honest with how I feel. No, you don't. People who do that are just a mess. By the way, my wife and I, yesterday was our 39th wedding anniversary. We've been married for 39 years because we do not live by how we feel. <laughs> Shut up over there. She's, she's going, amen, amen, amen. I want to I kill him every other day. You know, just, I'm glad she doesn't act on how she feels. I wouldn't be here. Be in a pine box somewhere. Quit letting that determine who you are. And how you behave. 
Just pray, God, keep me out of trouble. Don't let me get in any situation. Don't let me get in an opportunity where I can sin against you. Keep me away from harm. Keep me away from the evil one. And quit, you, know, you know, feelings come and go. Don't let it define you. I'm telling you, it will destroy you. And you young people, you teenagers in particularly, you got to, the most vulnerable, and see, Satan, Satan is a predator. And predators look for the most vulnerable. If you ever watch these uh, documentaries like from Africa or something like that, these lions and stuff, they don't go after the big, strong animals. They look for the little weak ones, you know. They're predators. They look for opportunity to pounce and take advantage. Now, the most vulnerable point spiritually in your life is when you're a teenager. Not really when you're children. Now, we consider them the most vulnerable because they're little, but in, in a physical sense, yeah, but not spiritually. Your children are pretty much covered by your faith when they're children. And they're, you know, that's the beauty. But when you become a young adult, which is what happens when you're a teenager, you're not just a kid anymore. You're an adult. You're a young adult, but you're an adult. You are now at the most vulnerable point. Satan, when you, he wants to get you now. If he can, all of his energy, everything about him will attack you the hardest when you're a teen. Because he wants to get you messed up before you become an established adult. If you can make it through this time and do life right, man, then your life sails and he hates that. You become almost impervious to his, his attacks. But if he can get you messed up now, Doing things you shouldn't do now. Acting and behaving in ways because you're listening to your feelings now. Now you'll be a mess for the next 50 years. That's his target. Avoid it like the plague. Do not listen to your feelings. Especially your teens. Everything about you. Everything you do or don't do is because you feel like it or you don't feel like it. Why aren't you studying? I don't feel like it. Why aren't you mow the lawn? I don't feel like it. Don't live by how you feel. Do what's right. All right, so now Jesus gives us this very simple. This is how he should pray. Then he keeps talking. And this is the part where most Christians have dropped the ball. Because Jesus did not quit talking. He's still talking about this prayer. He said, this is how you should pray. And then he says something afterwards right away tied to it. That's the part almost no one ever reads or hardly anybody ever preaches about. Because he just said something that fried their brains. What was it? Our Father in Heaven? Well, that's kind of radical. It's kind of intimate. See, in the Old Testament, they didn't call God Father, oh Father. They were all the most omnipotent, powerful Jehovah. God was way off in the distance to them. They were afraid of God. Jesus comes along and says, this is how you should pray. Father. Dad. Daddy. Wow, that's kind of radical. Is that what freaked him out? No. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's radical. Because a lot of people think of, you know, eternity, you know, pie in the sky after you die, right? You can really experience God when you're dead. Once you get dead, you get to experience God, and we all experience God everyone here is dead. Oh, we'll be blessed when we get into heaven. Yeah, we'll have peace when we get into heaven. Oh, we'll be healthy and strong when we get into heaven. No, 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 no. He said, pray, your will done on this earth as it is in heaven. You can experience God right here, right now, in your life today. That's the beautiful thing about Christianity. 
afraid, never heard anything like this. Is that what freaked him out? No. Give us today our daily bread. You mean God will meet my physical needs? That God actually is aware of who I am and what I'm going through and wants me to succeed. You mean God will actually do that? Yes. Whoa! That's radical. Is that what freaked him out? Oh no. It was the next part. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Whoa! Wait a minute! Now, these are people who were raised their whole life, as Jesus said earlier, they were taught to hate their enemies. Eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I'll get even with you. And now he's telling them to God, God, forgive me. Oh, everybody wants that. Oh, everybody wants to be forgiven. Yes, oh, I deserve to be forgiven. But you're saying, literally, God, forgive me as I will forgive somebody else. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. Because that puts them in a lot of trouble. Because they won't forgive the other person. I want to get even with that person. That dirty rat. Because what you're literally praying when you pray the Lord's Prayer is God forgive me as I forgive other people. Oh, that pastor, that's not what I meant. Yeah, listen, that's what he said. Remember, he didn't stop talking. As soon as he gets done, the very next words out of Jesus' mouth, verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin. See, he goes right back to that point. He knew that was the one that freaked him out. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Oh, Pastor, what are you saying? All right, he makes it very, very clear in the next sentence. This is the kicker. This is what he's trying to get across. They're not getting it. Most people don't get it. Most people listen to me on TV right now. Don't get it. This is what he says. The very next words. But if you do not forgive others their sin, Your Father will not forgive your sins. Your Heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. God will not forgive you your sins. What are you saying, Pastor? I ain't saying anything. Jesus said it. You're saying God won't forgive me. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. By the way, I'm already hearing people say, you know, Pastor said such and such. Pastor didn't say anything. Pastor just read to you what Jesus said. This is what he taught. God. Now let me ask you, what do you think happens to you in eternity if you die and your sins are not forgiven? You really want to go with that? Because you're so mad at your neighbor? You're so mad at your parents because they did such and such to you? Because you're so mad at your ex-husband because he did this, that, and the other, and your ex-wife is a and you hate that guy at work and that person over there did such and such to me. Ah! Really? You want to go with that? What Jesus is saying in no uncertain... You cannot interpret this any other possible way. He says it in black and white. If you do not forgive others their sins, God will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness is not optional to Christians. If you are hating people and unforgiving people, you don't get this. You may come to church, you might smile, you might sing, you might clap your hands, you might do this all faithfully till the day you die, but you hate people, you are unforgiving toward people, you don't get this. You don't understand Christianity. And you are headed for a very bad place. This is not optional for us. 
This is not something we grow in. You have to forgive people. And every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, you are saying, you're giving God permission not to forgive you if you won't forgive somebody else. Whoa. That's why Jesus had to clarify, yep, that's what I'm saying. And he says it again in other parables as we get into this. He's not done with this. This is a recurring message of Jesus. I know we all got this real wussified picture of Jesus. Just believe in me, everybody. Just believe, and everybody will be forgiven if you just believe. We got these pictures of Jesus. Looks like a lady with a beard, you know, holding a lamb. But he's not messing around. I mean, we've read a dozen things already so far in this sermon that is like enough to freak out most of us. He's not kidding. He is serious, and he didn't give a rat's butt what anybody thought. At one point, people got so frustrated with Jesus, they said, I can't take this anymore, and they left him. We'll get to that. He wasn't trying to impress anybody. He was telling them the truth. The beauty of it is there's great grace in this. A lot of us, we don't want to forgive people because we want to get even because they hurt us. And the way we try to get even is we won't forgive them. But the only one that hurts is you. It doesn't hurt them. Unforgiveness is like taking poison trying to kill the other guy. He's still alive. I'll drink more poison. (laughs) He's still alive. (laughs) The only one dying is you, you idiot. Stop. (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you an idiot. You have to forgive me. All right, let me end with this. And this is a little bit of a hot topic. Peace. I'm going to mention something of a political nature. Just peace. Stay calm. Everyone stay calm. Now, as you know, I am not partisan in this church. We do not care if you're a Republican, Democrat, Communist. I don't care. You can hold whatever political view you want. It's fine. In these doors, it doesn't matter. We are here as children of God And we love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't care if you're left, right, upside down, or in between. And I think I've made that abundantly clear. Having said that, there is a current theme going around that has to do with the immigration problems that we are having. And it's fine. Let's enforce the laws. Let's do whatever. But the thing that concerns me Listen to that. And, and, and studies have shown some of the most conservative political people like to come to church. So there's some very conservative political people here, which is fine. We have all kinds here. But these are the ones who are the most get all ratcheted up and they say things like, you know, I'm against amnesty. There should be no amnesty. I'm not going to vote for that guy for amnesty. I listen to these talk show hosts who are professing Christians, who say they're Christians, who say they love God, and they're the ones yelling and screaming against amnesty. Really? Are you listening to yourself? What amnesty says is another word for forgiveness. I am against forgiveness. I'm against forgiveness. Really? If you do not forgive others their sins, God will not forgive you yours. You really want to go with that? Well, pastor will take advantage of us. Yep. That's right. Listen, and, and always forgive, because some real ultra-conservative people, they're the ones who like to claim this country was based on Christian principles, which it was. And then when we live on a Christian principle, they get mad. 
We are the most forgiving nation on earth because we are built on Christian principles. The Japanese come over and bomb us as smithereens. We go to war in the Pacific spilling blood from here to Iwo Jima. Finally bomb them into submission. And who rebuilds the country? We do. We fight the Germans, blow Europe to smithereens, blood, death, destruction, nothing left. Who rebuilds the country? We do. It's part of our nature. It's part of who we are because we are based on Christian principles. We forgive people. Don't be going ratcheting all over. I'm a goddamn sandwich. Shh, hush. You don't want God playing that back to you on Judgment Day. We had the same thing when they were they were going to give amnesty to the people who cut out, you know, were trying to avoid Vietnam and went to Canada and they eventually granted them amnesty, let them heal. We survived that. It's interesting how many conservative Christians scream bloody murder. They were against that. There's no amnesty. Don't be inconsistent in your faith. Look, I'm all for fighting for what's right and wrong. We fight at this church, harder than any church I know, for what's right and wrong. But we don't hate people. We don't get on people who fall short of God's standard. We're just fighting for the standard. You need to love people. Well, pastor, they take advantage of us. Yes, that's the whole point. When people hurt you, you forgive them. They've taken advantage of you. You've got to let it go. One of the disciples came to Jesus one day and said, Well, Lord, you're always talking about this forgiveness. How many times should I forgive somebody in a day? And he was being generous. He said, Seven? Jesus said, No. Seventy times seven. Whoa. Now seriously, you punched me once? Okay. You punched me three times? I'm starting to have an issue. You punched me 490 times? I'm really getting upset. It's called forgiveness. Let's fight for what's right. No problem there. Let's not jump into the category of unforgiveness. Because when we live by what our Lord taught us, we are the most forgiving, compassionate people in the world. Because when we're really forgiving, you know who you start to look a lot like? Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Some of these things, Lord, are bitter pills for us to swallow. (laughs) Several issues. (laughs) We're not even done with this first sermon on the mount. You said some tough things, but help us to amend our lives so that we will be more like you. And God, if there's one area we need to get right, help us to have hearts that forgive people. Even when we're taken advantage of, even when we are hurt, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Because when we do that, that is when we are the most like our Heavenly Father. Because it's what you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.